Welcome back to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your extremely stylish backseat driver. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, expressive arts therapist, your mechanic. Hands on the wheel, drivers. It's go time. Today's quote is by Idowu Koyenikin. A highly developed value system is like a compass. It serves as a guide to point you in the right direction when you are lost. Last week, we covered the first section of the whole person model. Just a reminder, we're linking that in the show notes so you can go take a look whenever you get a chance. This week, we're covering the next section, which includes personal style, family, and values. And to recap at a high level, All of these elements are part of deepening your relationship with yourself and learning how to create a life worth celebrating. So first up, what the heck is personal style? Are we talking like hoodies, haircut, like a beard trim? Definitely. So that is one form of personal style. Uh, Some people definitely have really good personal style. And then there's a different... You're talking about me. I have good personal style. She's not talking about me. Sure. Now then, you do have really great personal style. A different way of looking at personal style is looking at how you approach the world around you. Are you someone who really likes tasks and having specific things each day that you are expected to do? Or are you someone who really enjoys being around people and the more flexible nature of that interaction aspect? Are you someone who likes to work alone? or someone who likes to work on a team. What type of results do you enjoy getting? Are you someone who wants that concrete, tangible result or someone who's okay with that ephemeral, more loose? I've got a question. I got a question about the first one. Mm -hmm. Tasks or people? Why are these two things, like alone or on teams makes sense to me, but what if I like to work with people on tasks? Then you would be a team person who likes to work on tasks. But that's why I'm asking why are tasks and people paired in this way. <laughs> this is this has to do with what's more important to you is getting the task done even if it sacrifices people? Not okay, <laughs> we are not the Incan, we are not sacrificing people, but we might sacrifice their enjoyment of life by making them work extra hours. You've seen this at jobs. I thought he was about to say we might sacrifice a goat. No, that's goats are, are not people. There are no burnt offerings in this. Okay. All right. So there Sorry. are some people who are so into the task that the effect on people is negligible to them. Okay. And then there are people who are so into the people that the task may not get done if it would negatively affect the people. That's what this particular continuum is. This could also be like not necessarily co-workers like you sacrifice time with your family because you're involved in a task that you want to get done yes but then then there's also you could be doing that task on a team of people but sacrificing time with your family that's why to me like people and teams seemed like the same thing but i get how you're it's like a different application of the same thing that's correct okay it has to do with the effect so it's is task primary regardless of the effect on people or people primary regardless of the effect on the task. And then are you doing things by yourself or with people? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
And are you doing something that has a tangible physical result? Or are you doing something that has a more ephemeral, non-tangible result? Can't you in some ways define the result yourself? Like, obviously there's clear examples. Okay, I am a woodworker. I make a chair. That's obviously a tangible result. Okay, got that. I'm a uh, mathematician and I'm like working on a proof that is so far unsolvable. That's more of an ephemeral result, I would say, an ongoing task. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of work in the middle. And sometimes I feel like the graphic design I did for years was ephemeral because it's it's not a lot of my projects were digital only. So like they are out there. They're viewable. They are a deliverable but it's not like a book or a piece of paper that's truly tangible, like definitionally tangible. So there's some amount of defining that for the individual. Somebody may feel that a task that person A thinks is ephemeral, uh, person B might feel is, is fairly tangible, right? Yes. And these are the poles of a continuum. Mm. And most work happens on the continuum, not at the extremes. I see. That's what I my examples. Right. I just said it in fewer words. This is a podcast and it's about (laughs) words and saying them into people's ears. So one of us is podcasting really right now. And one of us is giving sound bites that people can actually remember. Okay, let's go on. And one of us (laughs) is just not talking. I would say my personal style is loquacious. (laughs) Ephemeral on teams and and very people oriented. That's you. Yeah. Okay. Once you've, gosh, have we even figured out our personal style yet? This is a self-reflection thing again, right? This is a self-reflection thing. And when are you most comfortable? Never. Yeah, same. (laughs) What is comfort? (laughs) And the reason I wanted to ask that first is the next question here that we've got is what happens when you work against your style. But first you have to know what your style is. So what maybe can we talk about some ways to reflect and figure out, okay, besides those three things, that's what personal style is. Like, how do I know? Am I just thinking about okay, I like working with people and I like tangible results. So I'll give you an example out of my life. I did start in aerospace engineering long ago and far away. Before we even had planes. Back when you had to use a slide rule. And to program a computer, you had to use punch cards. That's when I started in aerospace engineering long ago, far away. And that's very task-oriented. And it's very solitary in the sense that you do your projects pretty much on your own, or at least at that level. Remember, I was only studying it. I was not yet an engineer. And it's very much about tangible results. Get a computer program, you get the, you solve the problem, you create the the drawings for the structure that's going to be built. So very much tasks alone and tangible. And I was burning out doing that. I could do it. I had abilities to it. I had some skills at the time, although I've forgotten all of my math at this point. What I discovered, though, is people were more important to me than tasks. So interacting with people, that's the team's part, and just caring about people made more sense to me than just doing the tasks. I really loved the tangible results, and that's one of the things in my current profession that I don't have. Psychology is very ephemeral. Patients sometimes don't even close therapy with you. They get better and they just stop coming back. So it can be floating out there in the world. And that's harder for me. So my personal style is more people-oriented. I like to work on teams. So I really loved it when Kim joined my practice. And I would prefer tangible results. So that's 30,000-foot view 
of how I've discovered my style. And that's just from experience and things that work well and I like and things that I can do but don't work as well and I don't really like as much. Okay. I think that's a great example for the listener to do their own reflection on their work and their life and times when they have felt those things. This is working well or this is really difficult. So to help them along a little bit more, you mentioned you like tangible results and your career of psychology doesn't really have that. So what are some symptoms of, in that way, working against your style? It tends to take more energy. When you're working against your personal style, you're putting more energy into fitting into the work that you are doing. And it takes longer periods of time. So if you're working a really hard work, a really hard week, at the end of the week, you might feel super drained and just need whatever it is that helps you more of it than if you that kind of fed into it. I think about, for me, man, I don't even know where I fit on personal style anymore because I think mine has changed over the years. I definitely like people and I care for people more so than tasks, I imagine. But I do also really like tasks. I like just being able to have a checklist. I lean more towards enjoying working alone than on teams because my association with teams is large teams. And in my past experiences with work, having large teams has been miserable for me. No, I get it. I heard the stories of when you worked on large teams that were miserable for you. And I was recalling that. So as you can hear from my friends over here, apparently it was very well known that working on large teams was quite miserable for me. That's probably true. One of the reasons that the two of you got my cooking more often than not growing up is because cooking had a tangible result. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. You could see what the product was and hopefully enjoy it. And that was one of my ways for compensating for the ephemeralness of psychology. And I feel like there should be more elements to personal style. This is specifically within the whole person model. It's these three kind of spectrums. Are there other things? This is mostly about like your working. Yes. Yeah. Which is good. It's, again, this is all like, it all goes together. This is as many pieces to your life and understanding how you work. Because it's not, this doesn't mean career working. It's also just how you work with or without people. And you can use this, you could use this in a significant other relationship too, reflecting on the Have, alone having time, a those team. Kinds of things. Yeah, you are a team. Right. And then tangible results in ephemeral. If one of you is really good at getting stuff done, that's good to know. If the other is good at the more long-term plan or like just figuring out what's best for your family in a so, vaguer way, that's, that's a little more ephemeral. Again, like on a spectrum. One of the things that the ability battery does test is time frame orientation as well as generalist specialist. Those are two of the other big factors in your personal style. Ah. And so that time frame is the do you need something in the shorter time frame, like six months, a year, or even shorter than that, to feel like you're getting somewhere that fits more into the tangible results, which yes, you can have ephemeral results sooner. But you know, if you're looking at your time frame, having that shorter time frame ties in with wanting more structured results or having a longer term time frame of three, six, 10 years. I always hate it when people ask me what my 10 year plan is. I'm like, I don't know. Be alive. Yeah. It actually used to be a good question when the world didn't change so quickly. 
like here and mostly human. I still feel pretty good about a five-year plan. By good, I mean, I have some ideas. And one of the things, right. one of the ways to look at this particular element of time frame orientation, it's where your focus is. What, what's most easily in focus for you. So somebody who is a short time frame, they would be thinking about a day, a week, a month, a year, probably a year is the, the outside of that. And that focus, that orientation, figuring out things that happen in that time period makes sense to them, but they may not think about something that is three years down the road or five years down the road. Okay, so we've added two things to personal style, just to be clear. And I, I appreciate this because this is what I was asking about. I felt like there was a little more here. So generalist specialist, which we haven't talked about too much yet. That's one that's interesting to me. Um, All right. So, and, well, hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. I don't know the thing. Oh. And this time frame thing. And those are measured in the Highlands Ability Battery. And we've talked about how a lot of that stuff, the reason it's so effective to measure it is it doesn't change much. Can your timeline, time frame orientation. orientation, thank you, your time frame orientation, can that fluctuate more? Because I got to say, like, with quarantine and, and coronavirus and stuff, there have definitely been weeks and months in the past year where my mental range is one day. <laughs> I'm like, we got to get to tomorrow. <laughs> if we can well, get to so tomorrow, that's fine. Or a week. I was way, way, way down. I mean, where normally I think I'm looking more like six months to a year out. The first thing that came to mind was you can build skills around however you use time frame orientation. I am much more that six months to a year person, the long distance planning. I'm good at it because I learned the skills because mama is super into long term planning. And so that was my introduction to it. Originally, it was like I can do a single semester of school at a time. And it's also influenced a lot by what's happening around you. So if you're oh. under a lot of stress, it does become what's the immediate need. I talked about this at one point about triaging when clients come in with a lot of stuff happening in their life. We don't look at their long-term problems that have come up. We're looking at, okay, your boss is threatening to fire you. How do we resolve that? What does that mean? We're looking at the immediate rather than the, the long term of it. Stress, world events, all of that stuff definitely has a big effect on our interpretation of the world around us. And as far as I know, there are no normative studies on the Highlands Ability Battery during a pandemic. Yeah, I certainly wasn't questioning it in terms of, and I, like I said, I think for me, my norm is probably six months to a year. I'd have to go look at my results to know for sure. But I, I suspect that's where it is. But I had definitely noticed that there were times where it scaled way back. And I was like, I can't even think about what's happening next month because I got to get through this month or this week. So that, that's just an interesting thing to note. Yeah, mine's been day by day for a little while. All right, what's happening today? <laughs> Moving on to the next section. Really? Family. You don't want to hear about the generalists and specialists? Oh yeah, I do love generalists and specialists. I'm a generalist, 100% generalist. I would never specialize in a single thing ever. <laughs> you can't get me to focus on one thing for more than it takes to record this podcast. Except for modular synthesizers, right? Mm, he's not going to go into the same level of depth as a specialist in modular synthesizers. Right. I wish. See, and that's an interesting thing. I Sometimes I wish I was a specialist. Because I'm a generalist, I follow a lot of specialists on social media, whatever, and they're always getting into stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. 
but I know in my heart, in my soul, that I'll never get that good as that person because I'm just not willing to dedicate all of my time to that one thing. Well, and the level of energy it takes, right? We were talking about what happens when you work against your style. It takes a lot of energy to push through that boundary. So shall we define generalist and specialist? Nah, so, <laughs> let them in, figure it out. <laughs> in in the short form, a generalist is someone who's interested in a variety of topics, but not with great depth. So think about like topsoil. It covers the entire earth, but it's only an inch or two deep in most places. A specialist is someone who focuses down on a few topics, not a singular topic, but a few topics, and loves to be known as the expert. They know all the details or as close to all the details as any one human being can. And that is what gets them excited about the world, is to know things in great depth. Whereas the generalist likes to connect things that seem disparate because they know so many different areas. And again, I feel like I'm both of these. Well, and this is a continuum variable. Most people are not one or the other. It's in most things, you're not on the poles. You're somewhere in the normative curve in between. I should have pulled my dang test back out. I, 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 feel, I feel like, like mine is 99% generalist. We should do a bonus episode where we all go over our Highlands Ability Battery Test together. You sure but that you would take that? two and a half hours if you did it and two hours if Don did it. Okay. <laughs> We've talked about generalist specialists. We've done all of this stuff about a personal style. So ask me a question. Okay. Okay. So that kind of wraps up personal style. And the next section is family. That seems like a jump to me. How does family fit into this? So family has two basic aspects to it. The first is your family of origin. You grew up in a family and you saw things uh, that your parents did that they considered work and that they earned money at. And it's really your first foray into careers and earning money is what your parents do. That is nonverbal messages about what good work is and what bad work is. Then there are other messages about expectations. There are many families, people who grew up in a family who say you, you need to be a lawyer or a, a physician or something else, or even family things like the last five generations of our family have been attorneys. That's a typical one. Or physicians or military people. Um, I was going to say military is another good example of this. Sure, sure. My father was in the Navy. He was a career Navy man. I went in the Army. We can talk about that all day long now. But family of origin tells you things. So one of the things my family of origin told me is that music is a great hobby, but not a way to make a living. So anytime I wanted to move in that direction, they steered me away from that. And they steered me towards science because they thought that would be the way to make a living. Hence, I ended up in engineering. So those kinds of messages, both overt, talking about what is good and what is bad in terms of work, and covert in the sense of watching what your parents do for a living and seeing whether or not they enjoy it or don't, those are, that's the basic aspect of family. And then there's the flip side, which is the people in your family now. This might be your partner or your children if you have them or other responsibilities you might have. And those might limit or expand your choices about what you can do with a career or what you can do with education. We were mentioning before folks who are maybe working two jobs and have kids. 
they have limited sets of choices. It takes energy to invest in uh, getting educated into a new career path than the one that you're currently doing. So that's one of the limiters that happens there. Or you may have the opposite, where you have a partner who's able to handle all the bills and you have the freedom to go to school or to train in a different uh, profession. So those are the two basic areas. I'd be a career student if I could. You'd study careers? I mean, sure, I'd do that too. Sure. I've spent my life studying. I, I love learning new things. I just don't get any more degrees. This is interesting to me because it seems like in a lot of ways, no, you gave good examples, positive and negative. I was going to say that family seems like a much more limiting factor of the whole person model than any of the ones we've discussed so far, that it is putting boundaries on what you could or couldn't do in creating your life. But no, you gave some good examples of like a partner being able to support you to go pursue an education or change career, which is the kind of situation I'm in right now. <laughs> also, sort of think about it in like the role of spite. If someone's telling you, you have to be a lawyer, and it's like, nah, screw you, I'm gonna go do what I want. Right? The people who have gone and Oh, I led, see the negative motivation. Yeah, to... <laughs> you know, I'm gonna prove you wrong. You're telling me I can't make a career out of music. Watch <clears throat> me. Right? You're telling me I won't be a good scientist, even though this is something that comes easily and naturally to me, and it's what I want. Watch me. I always think back to when I was getting ready to leave for undergrad, and Oma kept asking me, why are you even going to college? Mama and Papa were very excited and very supportive of me, but that always hit hard for me, because as far as I know, Ben, she never asked you that question. For me, it was always... Well, I'm going to go because I want to. This is something I'm passionate about and I am excited for. And it was never a question for me. So when she asked me that, I got a little bit ruffled, which I was also a hot-headed teenager at that point. Um, <gasps> really? What are you now? Are you a hot-headed adult now? Yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> she is much more level-headed now. I know. I'm just razzing. I'm still pretty hot-headed. Yeah, but compared to 16... Even 14? Oh, my goodness. Don mentioned your family of origin giving you spoken and unspoken messages of what's a good job and a bad job. And, of course, you gave some great examples of that. But I was thinking, I was like, I don't, what's a bad job? Do you feel like Mama and Papa ever gave us messages of what a bad job was? No, because I think we have pretty magical parents in that regard. They're the type of people where you're going to treat the janitor and the CEO the same. I don't remember ever getting a narrative that there was a bad job, but I have seen that. I've seen parents who are absolutely terrified that their child would go and get an associate's degree instead of a bachelor's degree or would even consider not getting any further education and just going into work. Now, I will tell you that unconscious messages that you two got was the expectation that you would go to college. I was um, going to say, I think that's where I would lean with it. Is, right. I don't think you gave us negative messages. I think this is a positive reinforcement situation. A conscious and unconscious messaging in our family was a positive expectation that we would go to college, that college was the correct path forward. Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked before on the show that there wasn't a whole lot of conversation about alternates to college, mm -hmm. which 
as you pointed out, had Kim or I raised it with any sort of clear plan, you would have entertained it. That's not the question. But we never raised it. And I think part of that is due to, again, positive reinforcement in our family that college was the correct option. I think also to a level, our interests inherently pushed us towards, well, I don't know about you, Ben. Yeah, I don't think that mine, but but I think that at the time, I didn't know what else I would have done. It made sense. I pursued my interests right on into college. My original thought with that was my interest in marine science, the kind of obvious next step was specialized education. Right. So it made sense to go to college because that's what my interest dictated. That's why I paused and said, I don't know about you, Ben, because music wouldn't necessarily. And I can't remember if you originally wanted to be a classically trained musician or not. I started out as a performance uh, right. major. So that's yes, essentially, yes. And that's sort of what I'm saying. There's definitely an argument. If I were a thousand times more mature at the end of high school and like new stuff <laughs> about the world, which I don't know how that would have happened. Or perhaps a thousand times less mature, I guess. There's like certainly arguments that if what I wanted to do was music, I should have gone to like a conservatory or just gone out in the world to you try know. and do music. Like just go to Nashville without going to college and just start playing and see what happens. There's a lot less of a, like you said, Kim, required specialized education. But I didn't really know any other I wasn't going to do that. It didn't, I don't know. So some of the other ways that parents send messages is that there are lots and lots of careers that we never talked about. And I never showed you because I'm unaware of them. Right. And there, there are huge numbers of things that we don't I, even know now. Right. We still don't. It's still a mystery. Stay curious, y'all. Always Think stay about curious. it. I'm a city kid. I grew up in the city. I never thought about any of the agricultural elements. And that, that's a major career field with hundreds of different things in it from forestry and game management all the way to being a farmer. And we need those folks every day, three times a day. But those were careers. <laughs> it's a quote a billboard. <laughs> but it's a great billboard because it's really true. You got to thank everybody that's involved in that process. But those are things we didn't talk about. And I didn't take you to the agricultural fairs or any of those kinds of things. So I didn't expose you to any of that. You also didn't expose us to trade school stuff, which is related to this. You have talked about your interest in carpentry. And some of that stems from some training in that in earlier in school. school yeah. And that could potentially be a more unconscious negative thing that you were unconsciously steering us away from trade school because you didn't want us to go that way. Well, and I also am trying to reflect on this as far as our interests didn't really go that way, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of factors here. I enjoyed doing all of the electrical outlets with Papa. I have very fond memories of all of that and him pretending like he got electrified and me being terrified every time. Every time. You'd think I'd expect it by now. I enjoyed that. It was fun. I still remember how to do these things. And I imagine if I had said, I want to learn more about this, Papa would have been hype about that. So I think a huge portion of not exploring those with us was probably because Ben and I weren't asking questions about it. 
you yeah, and Mama sure. are both the parents where if we had asked questions, we would have gone looking for answers. Yeah, um, but I, I would like to think that is true. Well, I'm glad we, that's what you... We did because marine science, right? When marine science came up for me, the first thing y'all did was what camps and education are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, so, I agree with that. Yeah, it was it was pretty consistently where your interests and then how do we find resources for you? So we shift a little bit into parenting, which we will take up in another story arc later in the season. But this is an example of following your child. So noticing what your child becomes fascinated with, giving them uh, opportunities to explore that if you can, and then letting them decide whether or not it fits or doesn't fit. Which is really hard when your child chases butterflies like me. All humans do that. You, you find yeah. different interests and you, especially as a kid, they, they ebb and flow. Like yes. you get right. into a thing and then, listen, as a generalist, <laughs> I know this very well. I get into stuff and I get pretty deep into it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. Squirrel. <laughs> yes. And I have been blessed in that I went into a career that gave us the resources that allowed the two of you to explore those things. I just want to address that because you may not have the resources. Right. One of the cool things, Benjamin Franklin invented it, is the public library. Electricity. Oh. No, the public library. Many people don't know that Ben Franklin invented that, including the post office, the public library, and electricity, discovering electricity. Ben Franklin was pretty cool. One of the people you're named after there, Ben. And the public (laughs) library is a great resource for parents who may not have all of the means to send their kids to different camps and that kind of thing, for kids to explore different career paths that perhaps the parent uh, knows little about. All right. I think we've pretty thoroughly covered family so let's move on to the last section of this week's segment of the uh, whole person model. Sections, segments, chunks, thirds. I don't know. And this is my favorite one, by the way. Oh, this is your favorite one. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. If you're looking at the model, this last section is values. So I'm not sure if we're talking about personal values or just broadly values, gold value. I don't know. How is this? We talked about interests and passions. We've talked about abilities, skills. Oh my gosh. How is this different than any of that stuff? So Kim, what was that quote again? Our quote from earlier was, a highly developed value system is like a compass. It serves as a guide to point you in the right direction when you are lost. So that's an eloquent piece about what values are. These are all personal values. They're not the values that society say you should have. They are the values that are inherent to you and how you want to live. Values are what guide your decisions on a daily basis about what's important and what's not important, which way you will turn at any given juncture in your life. Your values actually can be discerned by other people based on your behavior. They see you behave in ways that represent the values that you have. And there is no correct value set. Lots of different people have different values and they bring a point of view to the world that's important to incorporate. One of our challenges is if someone has different values than we do, we often see them as wrong or bad. And that's not the case. It's looking for how their value set fits with your value set so that we together can create more than either one of us could have done alone. Recognizing that your values change over time. So check in with yourself frequently about what do I value and how am I living my life to reflect that? 
That's correct. And some values are, you may believe you have, but are societal and they've pushed that upon you. So I had a value in my uh, 20s and 30s about I'm supposed to make a lot of money and all the rest of this stuff. And I discovered that really isn't what motivates me. In that case, that's sort of synonymous with a goal. Is that often or sometimes the case? So like skills and abilities, values are the core part of who you are. And then goals are things that you use to refine those values to achieve outcomes. So abilities are the core and skills are the things you use to refine the abilities to become talented. There are, of course, a ton of online resources. There are websites that you can go and do what's called a values sort. And you're prompted with several cards that have different types of values like community and health and spirituality, stuff like that. And you sort them and it walks you through sorting them into smaller and smaller chunks, which always bothers me so much, down to your final three, usually. The one I did the other day went down to the final three. It was the most painful experience of my life. Yeah. Um, but it helps you recognize what are the things that you truly hold valuable. And they do change. I did this recently with one of my clients. She demanded that I do it with her. And I learned that security and stability is a value that I have now. It wasn't one that I held the last time I did this. So it's important to look at this. And research shows that when the work that you do aligns with your values, you have the greatest satisfaction. As a matter of fact, values outstrip earnings as a reason to stay in a job. They also outstrip earnings for a reason to leave a job. So people who are making a lot of money when a company changes and their values change will leave a company because it doesn't fit for them anymore. And it's also cool to look at if you have a partner in your life that you're sharing this journey with to see what their values are and how your values join together and complement one another. It's very rare for partners to have the exact same set of values. Generally, though, they do overlap one or two out of the top five. And on our resource page, there is a version of the value sort that you'll be able to use if you'd like that. There is? There will be. Hey, it's interesting. I was looking at the old model again, the old circle, looking ahead to next week. And there's goals and career development cycle. And we were just talking a little bit about goals and the way, like I was asking about I was, I'm ahead of the curve, man. Ahead of the curve of the circle. There you go. Wow. It's like I've looked at this before. Kim's cracking up. Why are you silently laughing at me? That's cruel. I just love the curve of the circle. Thank <laughs> ahead you. of the curve of the circle. Good. Okay. So we've covered a little over two thirds of the whole person model now. This week, we talked about personal style, family, and values. Hopefully, it gave you some new things to reflect on as you continue to develop your relationship with yourself and think about creating a life worth celebrating. Don't forget to take a look at the whole person model linked in our show notes if you haven't already. And definitely hop in the Facebook group if you have any questions or you want to share any realizations you've had as you've listened and reflected on your own life and how this applies. Next week will be the last episode of this arc on relationship to self through the whole person model. We'll cover the last two segments, which again, if you've looked at the model, you can see our goals and the career development cycle. And that will bring us full circle.
Thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in to our podcast. And until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.